I love math. Uh, and, and even for me, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around how compounding interest really, really works. It, it's crazy how much it doesn't feel like I've put that much money in and that it's that it's grown to that. Obviously, I'm lucky in the you know last 10 years of investing, we've had an incredible bull market um, with the exception of the last, you know, I guess year or so. It's how do I grow, you know, my family business? And that's really what I thought about was, you know, the Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 306. Stays, she's already chuckling. What's going on in your world? How's it going? I don't know why that question is anxiety inducing every week, but <laughs> I feel like I need, need to do a full recap. I don't know. It's been a, it, it's a good week. I am one month out from a triathlon and I haven't done one of those in, I don't know, 10 years probably, which makes me feel old, but. It's been fun to have a little laser focus there on on training rather than just like working out for the health of it. But yeah, that was good. Good ramping that up. Went to a concert Saturday night. Who'd we go see? Yeah, Nate Smith, Cole Swindell, and Thomas Rhett, which was uh, pretty amazing. Got you a little cultured. And your favorite part was probably your Torchies guy once again. Oh, okay. We went to a Matt Kearney concert a couple of years, or last year. Which, by the way, he's fantastic live. 10 out of 10 recommend. And there, <laughs> his guitarist, I call him Torchies guy because he looked like, if you live in Texas, he looked like he work, worked at Torchies. Tor- Torchies is glowing national right now, not just Texas. So everybody's getting to feel the joy of Torchies tacos, or at least a lot of people. Maybe not everybody, but Torchies will probably be coming soon near you, hopefully. Right. So Torchies guy... He's got his beanie on. He's like living his best life, jamming out on the guitar. And the best part was I never knew where he was going to be on stage. He just meandered the entire time all over the place, popping up behind the drummer, popping up behind the other guitarist, popping up. Anyway, I loved him so much. I actually recorded just him. (laughs) But anyway, we found that there's actually usually a Torchies guy in every band that just is kind of where's Waldo, kind of pops up all over the place. There was another great guitarist this weekend Though, who was, was it? Um, it was Day Smith. No, it was the second guy. Oh, Cole Swindell then. Yeah, so Cole Swindell, his guitarist, he had like this killer kick. I think he probably was the lead on Drill Team. And he also did these crazy stretches like out of nowhere at the very end. He he pulls like the middle splits whilst playing the guitar. Anyway, he came up to the front of the stage where the lead singer was probably 12 times I think he was hoping that he was the guy like it was actually his concert and he was thrilled to be there yeah it was it was an amazing weekend not quite as probably cool as I know several people have been going and participating Taylor Swift's tour but she just announced a few more locations so we'll see if we get lucky enough to get some ticks at any rate it's still super hot here and uh yeah, summer's winding down. Fall is about to get back in session. I feel like people are starting to go back to school, which is awesome and a little crazy. The year's been going by pretty quickly. We have an amazing fall lineup of guests coming up, and today is one uh, one of those, as always. In fact, today on the show, we have Matt, 
His net worth is $3.1 million. About a third of that is in equities in some homes, uh, personal residence, and then a third of it is in a taxable brokerage account, and then another third of it is in retirement tax advantage accounts. So real interesting story on how he got there. He works in the Navy. He's in the military, so thank him for, for his service. So uh, yeah, I mean, great story. The guy wanted to uh, pursue a professional baseball career at one point, didn't graduate from college after five years, and, and decided to, to enlist in the military. And we get into that story. It's really a uh, really remarkable uh, kind of turnaround and turn of events. We also discussed something we've only discussed probably a couple times, and I appreciate Matt for sharing this, and that's the uh, subject of, of an inheritance. And so while Matt was already a millionaire and well on on his way to becoming a multimillionaire, I guess probably he was even a multimillionaire at the time, he did uh, receive a little bit of an inheritance. And we so we get into that discussion as well. He shares he had three main goals. He wanted to increase his net worth by 20% or $30,000 each year. He wanted to increase his income, which was a little bit vague, but we get into the details of that and then max out all of his tax advantage of retirement accounts, which has switched a little bit since uh, from when he started his investment journey. But nonetheless, going to be a great episode with with him. Last week, we had uh, Xerxes. He had a net worth of of really over ten million now, but on the on the show and recorded, which is over eight, and it's spread uh, amongst all sorts of uh, retirement accounts, uh, real estate, uh, some personal items, and uh, some commercial real estate, and and also some personal. So great episode with him. Appreciate uh, those leaving some reviews. We've had a few submissions already, getting more and more by the day. Once again, we got a free. A box of factor just go leave a, a review and send it in to us on uh on itunes love to uh get those out i think i said that we'll do that for the month here and give some people some time because i know some people binge and listen to four or five episodes at once i wanted to read a couple that we got this week this one comes from easy five i learned something new from each show concise professional and compassionate hey that's the first time somebody's called me compassionate my wife's laughing Jason co-host always deliver. Here's the many more shows. And I'm joking about that compassion, but it's a, it's a work in progress. We're working on the, on the softer side of Jace. I'm probably working on it more than he's working on it, but I'm working on him working on it. Yeah. We're all a work in progress. Refiner's fire. Uh, this one comes from DS Massey. Best podcast to keep me focused on my goals. Awesome podcast to keep me on track to my be co- to my goal, becoming a millionaire. Wish I would have found it earlier. Keeps me focused and on track. Keep up the great work. As always, appreciate those. We've uh, surpassed 800 and now uh, trying to look towards getting 1,000 uh, reviews, which would be ratings, I guess, and, and reviews on uh, iTunes, which would be awesome. I got a, actually been getting a lot of mail this week and the last few weeks, and I apologize if I haven't got back to everybody. Uh, just give me a few more weeks. I try to... Try to uh, Try to have a quick turnaround on those, but sometimes it takes me a little bit with how much has been coming in lately. But I wanted to address something because this has come up, I don't know, I don't know how many times it's come up, a lot. And uh, I feel like no matter what, with how many new listeners we're getting, everything is probably good to address just so people kind of have a little bit of understanding. So the question comes from Kyle. He says, do the millionaires you speak with include their spouses' assets and their overall net worth, or are these individuals solely including their own assets? Uh, or what is in their own name. So the, the answer to that question is, in most cases, probably almost all cases, it's you know household net worth. And otherwise, uh, described as somebody who may be single, where they may not have a partner or be married, 
we are discussing household net worth. I don't get into the details. We don't vet the details of you know how people assign assets for the most part. And I live in a community property state, by the way, in Texas. But for the most part, uh, you know, assets and net worth is reported collectively. Uh, if you want to go get a bank loan, if you want to get a house, um, you know, some people can decide to separate that. You obviously can file a, a return, a tax return uh, as as married filing or separately. Uh, very, very, very few situations where it's more advantageous to do that. But as always, consult your tax advisor on that. At any rate, we are discussing, in most cases, unless otherwise noted, household net worth, and we're not dividing any assets. I know some people have kind of struggled with that, but if you go look at the Forbes 400, if you look at any type of uh, you know list or survey or anything that anybody's ever done in this space, it is typically always on household net worth. It does not uh, try to subdivide uh, assets, you know, in most cases, if somebody were to get divorced, probably get split more or less, you know, 50, 50, halfway down the middle, um, you know, unless there's a prenup or there's other, you know, outside circumstances, negotiations, what have you, uh, with some of the high profile divorces we've seen in the last few years, I think Jeff Bezos is one that comes to mind. Um, there, there's a few, a few others where, you know, may not have been exactly 50, 50, but, at any rate, hope that clears up uh, any questions for me, listeners, and appreciate Kyle for uh, submitting that question into us. Once again, if you're interested in being on the show, send us an email, mailersunveiled at gmail.com. Always looking for great new guests. Also, if you want to submit a question, we also have a SpeakPipe uh, uh, link on our website. You can record a question. We haven't had done one of those in a while, so I uh, would love to get a couple of those in if you have uh, some questions that you would like to ask on the air to millionaires. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Matt. Matt, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Uh, yeah, so I'm um, 37 uh, years old, uh, married. Uh, it's my wife, Alex. Um, we have two kids, a nine-year-old girl uh, and then a seven-month-old girl. Currently live in Charleston, South Carolina. Active duty member of the military uh, in the Navy, uh, and I'm uh, a submarine officer. I've been in the Navy for about 14 years. So, yep. Wow. Thank you uh, for your service. First off, and we're going to get a little bit in, into the details of your career. But before we do, what is your net worth today? Uh, net worth today is right around 3.11 million at the end of uh, close of close of business today. Good deal. You track it every day? Uh, no, I, I try try not to. I just pulled it up and made sure it was up to date um, <laughs> for the interview. Uh, but uh no, I, I try and track it. Uh, I probably update it once a month about at least it, I got an automatic file on, on Google Sheets uh, to, to keep it up to date. And it updates based on stock prices on its own. So I can just check it every every so often. But yeah, I look at it about every month. Nice. And what's the breakup of the, the 3.1? So the, the 3.1 million total real estate, I have uh, about 1.1 million um, in equity and about five uh, different homes. Uh, and then uh, stocks, I have a, a total of about $2 million, about $1.1 million of that in retirement savings accounts uh, split between traditional and Roth options. And then uh, the other 900000 is in uh, taxable brokerage accounts. Thanks. So you've got quite the quite the split between taxable, the retirement accounts, and then real estate equity. Was that always the plan? I wouldn't say it's the the plan so much. My my goal was always just to try and keep building assets, and in doing so, starting out, I wanted to maximize all of my tax advantage space that I had. 
uh, for retirement. So that's, you know, the individual uh, IRA accounts uh, for me, they're all, all of that's in Roth IRAs. Uh, and then the 401ks or the military version of the 401k, which is the thrift savings plan, the TSP. So yeah, I was trying to maximize or max that out, uh, which I did, I think for the first time in, in 2018. So what, about five years ago. Uh, and then that's when I really went hard into investing in more um, the ta- the excess and taxable accounts. So the taxable accounts only been built up over the last five to seven years. Yeah, about about that, about five to seven years. Yeah, my my income's grown substantially. Not not mine. My when I say my, I mean my family, my wife, and my income. Yeah, for sure. In terms of where that is invested, is it all in in uh, equities? Or do you have some bond mixes in there or index funds or what's the makeup of all that that's in the market? Yeah, it's all, it's effectively 100% in index funds. I break it down further. Uh, asset allocation wise is, is set around 70% in some version of stocks and then the other 30% uh, in more of the, the fixed equities. For stocks, I, I do tilt a little bit. So about 38% or my goals are 38% of, of it in in U.S. stock markets, and then I tilt the the remainder split between small cap value, European stocks, Pacific stocks, and then emerging markets. Uh, and then for bonds, uh, TSP gives a pretty great option, the G Fund, which has a guaranteed positive rate of return uh, and has some inflation protection kind of built in it. Uh, so I use my TSP for a lot of the the fixed assets, uh, and then there's just a little bit that spills over into uh, the wife's 401k. Awesome. And have you been maxing out most of the other accounts for, for quite a few years? So the Roths, I've, I've maxed out probably since I started uh, really going hard into into personal finance back in uh, 2015. And then the it took me a little longer for the 401ks. It's a higher higher dollar value there to, to hit those. So even though you haven't been maxing out, you've still been able to accumulate upwards of a million dollars just over. Is that surprising to you? Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, I think the people throw out the quote all the time about the eighth wonder of the world is compounding interest. Um, and it, even for, I love math. Uh, and, and even for me, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around how compounding interest really, really works. It, it's crazy how much it doesn't feel like I've put that much money in and that it's that it's grown to that. Obviously, I'm lucky in the you know last 10 years of investing, we've had an incredible bull market um, with the exception of the last, you know, I guess year or so. Yeah. Have, how much has your portfolio dropped in the last year, do you think? So the the maximum amount that it dropped, like, I guess I said I'd track my net worth every month. So I, I do see it. The maximum amount that it dropped uh, was I think sometime last year, uh, it had dropped a total of $400,000, which is difficult to say or, or really even think about. I, I certainly wouldn't say that to my wife because she might, her heart might stop for a second. But uh but I was I was happy in the fact that you know it, it dropped four hundred thousand dollars and I was still comfortable with what my allocation was and I, I fully expect you know that those stock market declines are going to happen if you have a long enough uh, investing horizon or timeline it won't be the smallest drop uh, that I experience uh, in my lifetime either I can almost guarantee it what what did you think emotionally when, when that was going on? I mean, was it, hey, I'm fine with my allocation. I'm just going to keep putting money in. Or was there a hesitancy to, to continue to invest while it was dropping at all? Yeah, a couple things. One, I think people underestimate the the psychology of, of investing a lot. 
A lot of people, I'm very much a fan of the FIRE movement. A lot of people are all, you know, 100% stocks all the time. That's how you're going to get the greatest rate of return. Uh, But for me, when I looked at my portfolio, I'm 70-30 stocks and bonds. It was um, kind of a mindset shift to me to say, you know, yeah, I lost, you know, $400,000. If I was 100% invested uh, in the stock market, I would have lost $600,000. So, you know, my decisions, you know, saved me $200,000. And that's really the, the most dangerous time, I think, is when those big stock market declines happen for investors. That's when people tend to, you know, pull their money out and say, you know, I'm never doing this again. Uh, I'm never investing again. So I'm kind of already, you know, psychologically guarding against that. And then also, you know, I'm thinking, hey, the the stock market's on sale right now, you know, over time it goes up. So, you know, this is an opportunity. Uh, And I think in 2021, uh, I put more money in and invested more money than I have in any other year in my life. And do you still plan to add to your retirement accounts at this point? Yeah. So I'll keep, keep maxing out my, my tax advantage space uh, until I retire. And then also my, my wife will do the same until, until she retires. Is there a value that you would stop contributing at that you've got critical mass and, and instead of putting more money away for later that you would maybe spend it or do something different with it? Yeah. So uh, to, to be honest, I'm, I'm almost certain that, that we're going to be over saving for, for what our income requirements are going to be when I, when I actually retire, just based on the, the pension that I'll get from the military and what we have have saved already. So we have been consciously, you know, making an effort. I'm more of the the tightwad in the family. My, my wife's more of the spender. It's a good balance that we have. But to kind of rein back on, you know, we need to save every dollar possible. We have a, a good, probably more than good for, for a lot of people's savings goal of, of somewhere between 40 and 50% of, of my, of our household income. And, you know, when we get raises and things like that, or, or bonuses, you know, our kind of rule of thumb is to, you know, spend half of it with with no guilt um, on the things that, you know, we enjoy or that we value, and then saving the rest is, is going to be fine. But there's not an actual, like, number that I'd like to get to. Uh, I think my goal in, in retirement is to have $300,000 of disposable income to spend per year. That's like three times what we spend uh, on it in a year now. So my, my guess is that I'm going to way overshoot. Hey, that's not a bad, that's not a bad approach. I'd love to kind of backtrack and talk a little bit about your story. So we were talking before the show about how you had graduated college, or sorry, you went through five years of college, but didn't graduate. And then at that point decided to uh, join the Navy. Is that right? And so kind of how did your financial journey start? You said in 2015 is when you got really into personal finance. So how did you get from not graduating college after five years playing baseball to today? Yeah, so I I went to college. My goal when I went to college, I was studying for mechanical engineering, but I wanted to be a professional baseball player. You know, I was still a kid with a, with a kid's dream. Um, and that's pretty much all I did uh, was uh, go to practice and uh, try and get better at that. Uh, I didn't go to a ton of class. Uh, I was pretty immature uh, as probably many college students are. So I wasted a scholarship, uh, spent five years trying to get that degree and didn't finish it. And then kind of had a, had a, you know, a, a discussion with myself on, on, you know, it's time to mature and grow up a little bit. Um, I thought one of the best ways to instill some discipline in my life was to join the military. Um, so it was kind of a, not a well-planned out or thought out decision. Uh, I showed up to a recruiting station. I walked in and it had all all branches uh, inside of it. And the first person that talked to me uh, was uh, a Navy recruiter. So 
Uh, that's how I joined the Navy. And, yeah, I enlisted uh, in 20, uh, 2009, sorry, uh, as a nuclear machinist mate. It's been about two or three years training. Uh, and then that's when I really got really interested in uh, personal finance. Um, I had a, a large bonus uh, for finishing my, my training. I think it was like $75,000 um, and I had no idea what to do with it. So I went and started looking up personal finance books and literally read uh, every single one of them that I could get my hands on. I think I have a list of 20 or 30 personal finance books uh, that I, I read in the course of you know a year or two uh, and put it all into action. Started out, I think, where a lot of people do with with Dave Ramsey's book, uh, and then um, Robert Kiyosaki's book, and then moved on from there. Very nice. So what was your first move then with that 75 grand? Is that where it started or did it start with your first paycheck uh, yeah, from so, the Navy and you started cash or putting it away? Yeah. So I, I learned a lot reading about uh, investments, about asset allocation, uh, about debt, mostly compounding interest uh, and how, uh, you know, the people that understand compounding interest earn it and the people who don't understand compounding interest uh, pay it. So a lot of that initial money, uh, we had a ton of credit card debt. We had student loan debt. Um, we had car loans. I think starting out in like 2010, we had a negative net worth. So we were in a, probably a similar position to a lot of people in their early to mid 20s. So I took uh, as much money and put it towards all of the debt that I possibly could. Um, and I think we were debt free probably less than a year later. Obviously, the bonus helped with that. Uh, but we got everything paid off within about a year. And that's when I really shifted into uh, we bought our first home uh, and then started investing a lot. Sometimes I think investing can be intimidating for people who don't know how to start. So where did you start? What was your first move? Since this is something that you kind of sought out all on your own, it's not something, it doesn't sound like it's something you necessarily grew up around. So how did you start investing and in, in making uh, investment choices? Particularly, I think homes is a little bit more self-explanatory real estate, but in terms of selecting funds and 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 uh, putting it in the market. Yeah, I'm, I'm really a lot of background in, in engineering and mostly it was because I really liked math. So I, so I understand and I'm usually pretty good with numbers and I logic made a lot of sense to me. So pretty much all of those early personal finance books that I read talked about active versus passive investing and the, and the difference between the two. And that just logically, every time there's a trade made, there's a buyer and a seller. And one of those people is is wrong. The, the investing returns uh, that active managers get versus passive managers, it just has to be the difference is, is just the fees that you'll have to pay uh, for active management. So uh, my first moves were index investing. Uh, I opened up a Roth IRA for both my wife uh, and myself um, and made sure those were maxed out uh, every year and then worked uh, the same way for our 401ks. Uh, and I use some of those asset allocation books to kind of guide where I put the money in and what index funds that I put the money in. Awesome. So you mentioned you and your wife doing this together. What kind of role has she played throughout this financial journey? Uh, yeah, she's been she's been great. I put her at a, a big disadvantage. You know, her her goal in life. Uh, she was pre law. Uh, she successfully graduated in four years, <laughs> She, which she reminds me of frequently. But she wanted to be a lawyer. It's pretty tough to do that when she's, you know, following me around on my, my military journey, you know, from state to state. Uh, it's not so easy to practice law. So she really, she was kind of taking a look at, you know, what 
what fields she could get into that were transferable as we continued to move. And she started out just uh, working her way through uh, effectively a master's program uh, while we were in New York, uh, taking some some manager jobs at, at a place like a restaurant and got her master's degree uh, with the intent of working in higher education um, and and got a job. I think she's pro- I think she may have gotten a job from every single interview that she's ever sat for. So she got a job almost immediately after getting her master's degree and then started out at $42,000 a year, I think, uh, after that master's degree. Uh, grew it to 50 the next year. I uh, got another raise the following year to 60 uh, and then finally got a remote job, uh, which was awesome for our family because she could follow me around making $85,000 a year. This all happened from, from 2016 on. And then just about a year and a half ago, based on the, the financial position that we are in now, uh, she was able to take a job at a, at a smaller company that's a little riskier, but it's a, it's a risk we can, we can kind of afford to take uh, with some huge growth. Uh, potential, and she makes uh, well well into six figures now with with the opportunities for bonuses and advancements. She's she's been great just in in the fact that you know she's been supportive of me through my career because it's kind of been me first uh, with the military. There's really not a lot of options. I go where where they send us, and the family comes along with me. So uh, she's done a great job pivoting on what her life plan was to what our what our family plan was, and then then still starting her own career uh, as well. So so now she makes an she makes an excellent income, and we pretty much save her entire salary plus a plus a, a little bit more uh, every year. Very nice. Sounds like you guys are quite the team. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's great. She told me I better talk uh, well about her too. Uh, so <laughs> you better just after Mother's Day too, right? Right, exactly. We're we're a few days removed from Mother's Day. I still have a Mother's Day project to to work on um, in our our newest home. So uh, that's for I her. think I think Jace has a few Mother's Day projects left too. <laughs> I was about to forget. say mine. My list. I don't know if it ever ends. So <laughs> Mother's Day is every day at my house, and projects never end. Oh, uh, if the projects got started, they would also end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, started that's that's usually the, the best part uh it's getting started sometimes that can slow you down yeah that's true so i want to go back to something real quick i think we glossed over that that i missed earlier and that's one part of your net worth that we we talked a little bit about the before the show that i guess you don't technically count yet but will likely be part of your net worth and that's your pension uh yeah so like i said i've been in the military for 14 years now started enlisted now i'm now i'm an officer i'll retire estimate about six years from now that might get extended just a little bit based on timing but that pension in today's dollars and based on based on my rank uh, will be around seventy thousand dollars a year uh, in current days dollars and then that's indexed uh, to inflation and it'll be paid you know immediately upon retirement so when I retire at 42 or 43 years old in 2029 or so I'll get that for the rest of my life and then indexed yeah, which, you know, simple math, life expectancy, which we'll get into here in a minute. I mean, you're, it's at least a million dollars, probably somewhere in between a million and $2 million of additional net worth. So to some degree, you're probably, you know, granted, you, you don't have it yet, but well on your way to, you know, another million plus dollars to your net worth. So, you know, over $4 million potentially, and you're not even 40 years old yet. Yeah, it's great. As your wife said earlier, I think, I think we've been a great team so far and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the the, you know, the success that we've had so far and, and eager to, one, hopefully uh, teach my kids that um, and share my story. Maybe something else, somebody else can can gain some value from it. 
Yeah. So let's talk just a little bit about the real estate. Obviously, some of this has probably come with some military moves, but if you want to just kind of get into the mindset behind acquiring these rentals and how do you manage them if you're not near them and, and what's the, the, the mindset going forward as it relates to real estate and rentals? Yeah. So every, every time we, we do move or, or I get stationed somewhere else, we typically purchase a home, but we, we purchase a home with the intent to rent it out uh, when we leave. And we we run the numbers on that before we before we purchase the home. So you know, just some back of the back of the envelope calculations that we do when we look at them, uh, trying to get PITI uh, versus rent. I'd, I'd like to rent homes out for at least a thousand dollars more than what the the estimated PITI would be, or principal interest taxes and insurance for the house. Uh, that should help me stay cash flow positive, uh, even when you take into account maintenance and capital expenses and vacancies and things like that. Uh, so that's the goal uh, every time we purchase it. Unfortunately, in the military, I have access to VA loans, uh, which require pretty low down payments. Uh, a lot of people, even in the military that have access to VA loans, don't know that you know you can, you can have more than one VA loan. I have four. As inflation continues to go up, you uh, get a higher allotment, uh, and then you can can use uh, more, more of that money for for another VA loan. So the, the down payments are really, really low. Uh, I think my first home, I, my total out-of-pocket expense was $5,000 on a $200,000 house. So when I look at that, you know, just the, the cash on cash return for that, when I put $5,000 down and I get a, you know, 3% increase in a $200,000 home, you know, I'm getting over 100% return just in appreciation on the house. And then if it's cash flowing for me as well, and I take that money and invest it in the stock market, it, it really just stacks, you know, assets on assets, uh, which is kind of how I've I've worked on growing, you know, our, our family's net worth. Do you plan to continue to buy homes? Yeah, I think the the final goal, and I don't want to have more than, than, than 10 doors, uh, we do self-manage all of our properties. Um, I think that's a big component on on helping one ensure that it's profitable, and then also just the things that go on in the house. I, the a lot of people, especially new landlords, I think that I've talked to, um, are really nervous or scared about the the process um, that's involved in managing a property, uh, especially for someone like me who's out of state a lot of times, um, depending on where I get stationed. But I think people underestimate just you know, how, what the time commitment is and, and then what the responsibilities are going to be between you or, um, or the property manager that's managing your property. You know, if, if the, the toilet breaks and your tenant calls you I'm, or the tenant calls me, I'm not going to go fix the toilet. Um, I have a plumber, you know, I already have his number. He's in my phone. I send him a tech um, and he'll go and fix the toilet and then I'll pay him. Uh, the, the difference in the property manager, I'm still going to have to pay for that repair uh, it's just they'll call the plumber for me. You know, it, it's kind of the same way with with everything else too. The the tenants, um, who, who's going to care more about the tenants I'm putting inside my house? The the property management company that you know has hundreds and hundreds or thousands of homes. Um, as soon as they get a qualified tenant, they're going to accept them. For me, I I look at uh, you know the the qualifications of of the tenants and and whether whether or not you know that's someone who I I can count on. Um, that's going to pay their rent on time and has a good good history. And, uh, there's just a little more care that I think that can go into it that you may not get with the, with the property manager. And are all these near you or are they all over the place? Uh, so three of them um, are in South Carolina. I've been stationed in, in Charleston three times now. Um, so we've purchased a home each time. And then 
One of them is in Florida, North Florida, just north of Jacksonville. Uh, and then there's another rental property in um, around the Daytona Beach area in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. So those are the five. And then we'll have, have a sixth one here in South Carolina here shortly. That's great. You mentioned before the show that when you move to a new place, you're stationed somewhere new, that you look to buy something for it to be a rental and that what you're choosing is different than maybe you might otherwise choose for your family if it's something you're looking to stay in long term. Can you talk our listeners through that? Yeah. So the homes that we've purchased have almost all been $250,000 or less. And then I think the most expensive, the last one we purchased, the most expensive, that was a little over 300000 that we purchased. We could definitely afford more, um, especially at this point. And in terms of, you know, the wants that we have for a, for a, a permanent home or for our for forever home are definitely different than the homes that we're purchasing now. So, so we're purchasing homes that, you know, single family homes that are certainly nice and uh, nice to live in. Um, but in terms of like, you know, our goals and dreams and aspirations, you know, that forever home won't be purchased until, until after I'm out of the military. So we sacrifice, you know, some of the things that we might want to, to live in a house that um, we know we're going to rent out later um, and that we know will be profitable uh, when we leave it. Sometimes, you know, there's some friction in terms of even even the homes that we purchase, you know, what we want to do inside, you know, like it's always a value proposition for me. Is it is it valuable to spend you know, three thousand dollars in a in a pantry and for some nice wood shelves. Uh, is that going to increase our rent? And are we going to get a return on investment on that or not? So those are some good, uh, fun discussions uh, that we get to have. Uh, but sometimes, you know, everybody's got to be happy. I, I feel like I've heard this song before. <laughs> We've had some similar discussions. <laughs> yeah, um, it, we there is a lot of a lot of sweat equity too that goes that goes into each home. We we do small things, um, you know, like paint cabinets, put in countertops, and things like that. Um, so that's kind of the trade-offs that we've made. It may not great have a great return on investment, but you know there's some there's also value in you know enjoying the place that you live and and liking the the, the amenities you have in your home for even if you're only going to live there for two or three years. Right. I think that's a delicate balance because do you put off everything or do you enjoy some some things along the way uh, because it is your day to day daily life. Not everything maybe necessarily has to have a return, but there are some easy things you can do to spruce things up and, and still make it enjoyable. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the discussion that, that we have a lot. And and that's like the areas, the, the high traffic areas, you know, kitchens. I, I think everybody likes to have, you know, a nice kitchen. We, we tip, I think every house we've purchased, uh, we've kind of redone the kitchen either with purchasing entirely new cabinets or, or painting the cabinets, um, which is a a work intensive process to sand and paint over and over again. But yeah, we, we certainly do those improvements that may not have a huge return on investment, but do increase, you know, our quality of life for for the place that we're living and raising our family. Awesome. And last question here. When do you see yourself selling these homes or do you see yourself kind of holding on to them for the long term? I mean, uh, with six and seven percent interest rates that that I see now, I certainly don't intend on selling them anytime soon. I think Every property that I have, the average interest rate on all of those properties is around three percent. I don't have any near-term goals of of selling any of the properties. They they tend to similar to home prices, rent typically you know increases. Um, so they're my mortgage payment stays the same. So they're they're cash flowing more and more feels every year. The intention is kind of just to continue that passive income and have that as as another source of source of passive income when I'm retired and then. I, even if we have a few more doors when I'm retired, I'll, I'll have the time, the spare time and freedom to manage the properties and, and continue to just reap the rewards of the, that passive income. 
You should know what that is. That's the best kind of notification. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. And the moment another business dream reality comes true. Shopify is the e-commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. In fact, I use it for several businesses that I have and my wife has. We love Shopify. Shopify simplifies selling online anything. You can focus successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from in-person POS system to all-in-one e-commerce and it even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Hacked with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you the comfort of your business and your brand without having to learn new skills or design new code. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is, is there to help you have success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash unveiled lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash unveiled to take your business to the next level. Once again, that's shopify.com slash unveiled. And thanks again to Shopify for sponsoring today's episode. I want to read something real quick from, from one of the email or from the email that you, that you sent in that you kind of goes back to a few things we've hit on, but you said you had three main goals. Number one was to essentially start tracking your family net worth and increase it by $30,000 or 20% per year, whichever was more. You said this was a huge mindset shift as I started thinking in terms of assets and liabilities and constantly thinking of how to build my build my assets and reduce liabilities. Goal number two is to increase our income. While vague, that goal forced us to plan and take action. I started looking into officer programs that would obviously increase my income and looked at what I could do in my career to make myself more competitive. I was already promoting quickly in the Navy, but I spent two years improving my officer package, studying for exams, advancement, and ACT, and then submit an application for an officer program that was ex- and was accepted. Meanwhile, my wife started working two jobs and making north of 50K per year while pursuing a graduate degree and planning a new career. Goal number three was to max out all tax advantage retirement accounts. We stuck by these three goals for years. And while they have shifted a bit, goal one and two are still constant goals. Goal number three was finally achieved in 2018 and has shifted to a 50% target saving percentage of income after taxes. When did you make these goals and why do you think they've been critical to your success? Yeah, so it it was was early early on in my my Navy career. I, I talked about um, you know really going hard hardcore into into learning as much as I can about personal finance. So I think I might have said 2015, but I, I think I actually started tracking my net worth in 2011. So that's kind of when I I developed these uh, goals. So two years after enlisting in the in the Navy, that's when I when I developed them. So the the net worth growth goal that I have really, I think, transformed my life and my family's life. Just just the thinking in terms of of assets and liabilities, and that the the way to grow, you know, your net worth is to is to build up assets and and minimize liabilities. I I had no, almost no education in in finance uh, going up through you know high school and and college. So it's just been transformative in that I'm. Instead of you know thinking what you're going to do with with your paycheck, it's it's how do I grow you know my family business, and that's really what I thought about was you know the the wealth that we have um, as a family. 
successful businesses, I don't know if this is true or not, but grow by, you know, at least 20% a year. So I thought 20% sounded like a, a good number. Unfortunately, I had a negative net worth when I started. So growing that by 20% wouldn't make really a lot of sense. That's why I put the caveat on there of, of trying to grow it by 20% or, or $30,000 back then. But just constantly thinking about that, I, you know, I, I thought of there's, there's three ways people make, you know, a ton of money uh, in life. It's either investments, uh, real estate, or, or starting your own business. So I, I tried to kind of dip my toe in all three of those to build up those assets. So um, started investing. And then I think of real estate, uh, the fact that we manage all those properties as kind of a, our own our own business. And then also getting the repeal rewards from the, the real estate returns. And then the, the second part, the increased income, I think it's really important that I developed you know, a plan. Um, I think my first year in the Navy, I made uh, a total of $18,000, I think, in taxable income. But I knew I wanted my my income was, was limitless, um, not really limitless in the military, but I could certainly increase it um, a lot. So I just started looking into different ways that, you know, I could do that. It's pretty easy to go look up pay chart uh, and you can see that, that officers make, you know, a lot of money. Uh, in the military, uh, even in the, a similar field. So I, I looked at that. I looked at, you know, what what different avenues would be for me to increase that income. And then how could I set myself up best uh, to be selected for those opportunities? Um, so developed a plan and then, you know, I took some action to to make myself competitive. And I was I was fortunate that I that I was selected. But even if I hadn't been selected, just those those actions and that work that I was doing was, you know, getting me noticed at work and I was advancing and, and continuing to earn more every year. And then, you know, my, my wife applied the, the same mentality, you know, we're, we knew that we were going to be moving a lot um, and that her intended career path out of out of college uh, may not be the best career path and started looking into, you know, what, what she could pivot into. She wanted to, she, she landed on post-secondary education and, I uh, looked at kind of, you know, one of the check in the boxes that she needed was a master's degree. So, you know, while she was working, while we were actually starting a family even, um, she worked on on finishing her master's degree uh, and then started in that, that post-secondary education role. And then that, that kind of domino effect is, as we both continue to, to, you know, make small improvements in our resumes and our experience and our knowledge uh, over the years and, and continue to, you know, advance up the corporate ladder for her and then up through the military for me. And then the, the last goal I think I had was to max out the tax advantage retirement accounts. Uh, so when I, I set that goal and mentioned what my income was, I had no idea how I was going to achieve that because the amount of money that it took, I mean, now you the, the, the allowed tax advantage space that you have, or at least for my situation, would be IRAs of $6,500 a year for both people and then uh, 401ks of $22,500 a person. Certainly less back then, but still I had no clue how I was going to get there, but I knew that was going to be the goal. And, and as we grew our income, you know, continue to put more and more into into the IRAs and 401ks um, until I could finally max them out. Uh, and then we, we did finally do that in in 2018 and we do it every year now and, and add on some more in taxable accounts too. Have you put any money away for your kids? I guess I can say uh, yes and no. Um, so the the plan that we have for our two kids, the military has the post 9-11 GI Bill, uh, which, is, which is money for college. 
you can use that for yourself, obviously, um, or you can transfer that. So what I did uh, as soon as I was eligible to transfer that at six years of service with four more years um, signed on uh, for a contract, uh, I transferred that uh, to my daughter, uh, Peyton, uh, and then have since, uh, since we had another child, I've transferred it to, to split it between Peyton and, and my newborn daughter, uh, Blake. Um, so the benefit of that is it depends on the college that you go to, but can be upwards of, of a hundred to $200,000, depending on the school that they go to. In terms of, in terms of saving for kids, really the plan that I have is to make sure that they don't have any debt when they get out of college and they're, they're set up as best as they can. So that's what I have for them. That was a, that was a conscious decision too, that we made when my wife got her master's degree, because I could have transferred uh, those benefits to her and she could get her master's degree, but just the cost benefit, her master's degree was going to cost about $10,000 and the kids college could be who knows by the time they're 18 years old. So we chose that option. Awesome. Good for you. One, one thing I want to hit on real quick is you became a millionaire and then later, I guess not too long ago, you received an inheritance, which is something that we've only touched on in the show like once or twice. Will you share a little bit about that and kind of how that evolved and, and your thoughts and feelings on on what happened there? Yeah, so really sad. My, my mother-in-law passed away um, in her kind of mid to late 50s, only a lot sooner than, than she had planned on. She had, you know, savings that she was... I'd, I'd helped her with um, with her investments, her 401k before she finally retired. She had, you know, a, a 401k that had, was around uh, almost $600,000 um, in savings. And then she also had a life insurance policy uh, that was out, you know, in her daughter's name. That was that's her only child. When she passed away, the life insurance policy is also something I received, which was valued at a half a million dollars as well. Certainly, it was difficult on the family and. And my wife, it actually happened when I was on a, on a sea tour. So I was out to sea when, all, when a lot of this was, was happening. The, the sad part about it was, I mean, she died, un, passed away unexpectedly and early, but she was paying a, a lot of money um, out of pocket for this insurance, this life insurance policy that quite honestly, I, I don't think that my wife knew about, or, or at least knew much about. I certainly didn't know about it um, because it's money that we didn't, we don't need, you know, we're doing well and we'll, will certainly be be fine uh, for the rest of rest of our lives and, and into our retirements. And it was it was becoming pretty expensive for her based on just her her monthly expenses. So had I known about it, I, you know, we would have advised her, you know, get get rid of that. We don't need that. Use that that extra money and go on, you know, more vacations, you know, with with us as a family. So that was that was sad. But yeah, the the large windfall there, you received that. Uh, and then I kind of just dollar cost averaged it over a little longer time frame into the into the stock market for our savings. I'm sorry to, to hear that, but to, to some degree, at least uh, you were able to, to, to take care of it, you know, in terms of the resources that come and, and be able to, you know, benefit future generation with it yeah certainly uh we did take some of the some of that money you know at the time we just had one daughter so allocated some of her her portfolio to to my daughter um which which will kind of just keep in a trust until she turns i think we decided on around 25 years old um, where she can have access to it cool well let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions what's the most expensive pair of pants that you've purchased probably two hundred dollars okay what about the most expensive car uh that would be my wife's car she 
we purchased a $92,000 Range Rover, which we are uh, about to sell now that we have multiple uh, young children and use a more value proposition on purchase a, a van, which she is extremely, <laughs> extremely excited about. Like, cannot wait. Uh, to get rid of this Range Rover to to purchase um, uh, one of the three vans I think that are even for sale or four vans that are even for sale in, in the United States. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Trading in a Rover for a, a van. I love it. What's yeah. the uh, most expensive experience or vacation you've been on? I'll go both. So I, I'm a huge baseball fan um, since I no longer play. We went to a World Series game. I'm a huge Braves fan. So we went to a World Series game, spent, I think, $2,500 a ticket. So almost, you know, right at five grand uh, to go to a World Series game. It was a great experience. Uh, wouldn't trade it in for, for the world. So did that in 2021. Uh, vacation wise, probably around $10,000 would be the most expensive vacation we've gone on. But we use miles a lot for those flights. Uh, so that kind of takes away from what the cost actually, actually is. Okay. What does the dream house look like and how much do you plan to spend? Whew, that's been a discussion we've been talking about a lot lately. It feels like we look at them um, all the time. Uh, I think the goal right now is going to be around 1.5 to 2 million. Um, but that's in today's dollars. Who knows what happens uh, six years ago? Probably something uh, back where my wife's from in Florida, close to the water. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be you know, on the beach. Um, maybe an intercoastal, something like that um, is the plan. Okay. What's a closely held belief that you've recently changed your mind on? Closely held belief that I've changed my mind on. I guess recently is just kind of in the eye of the, the beholder. I I was always the, the tightwad in my family, and I've certainly loosened up a lot over the past uh, few years. And I think I think even my wife would, would agree with me. It's important to, to plan for the future and save for the future, uh, but you can't spend, you know, 20 years, you know, saving up a bunch of money. Uh, and being unhappy. Uh, so opening up the, the purse strings a little bit, spending a little more and, and enjoying life a little more with the things that you know we value is, is something I certainly have changed in the past couple of years. Awesome. What's the last piece of advice that you give to somebody who's just starting out? Take action. Uh, you know, when you develop a plan, but you can't spend, you know, years and years and years trying to trying to figure out you know, how you want to do this or how you want to start your financial journey, you know, take action and, and learn from mistakes. Uh, our, our first rental property was not a good investment, didn't cash flow when I purchased it, but I learned so much um, and we learned so much uh, about property management just based on purchasing that one home and, and managing it ourselves. I think I wrote an email that I had a convicted felon that I did zero research on and had been evicted multiple times, put him right in the home. Cost us about $10,000 to get out of that situation, but I learned a lot from that $10,000 and and we haven't had that kind of situation happen again. So yeah, take action and uh, learn from your mistakes. Awesome. That's Matt with a net worth of $3.1 million plus a pension. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire. Millionaires Unveiled.